This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki in New Plymouth, thanks to New Zealand On Air. For more local content, search for accessradiotaranaki.com. Welcome to another roundup of Neville Rides Boundaries, and I'm Neville Wallace, broadcasting from Hara, and coming to you from Access Radio Taranaki, Coast Access Radio Waikanae, Radio Hawke's Bay, Arrow Radio Masterton. With me today, I have Timaru Mayor Nigel Bowen, Barbara Kuriga, Taranaki King Country MP, Philip Duncan from weatherwatch.co.nz. Three waters are bugging most of New Zealand when it comes to this issue, and thermal and coastal waters has been thrown into this conundrum as well. So let's listen to Nigel Bowen explain what's going on. Well, my guest this morning is Timaru Mayor Nigel Bowen, and we're going to be discussing three waters, or is it five? Good morning, Nigel. Good morning. Now, Nigel, you've got a lot on your place. Could you explain briefly or explain where you are with the Three Waters Project? Because I know you had uh, a lawyer looking into this. How far has that gone? Yeah, so you know, on that specific point, uh, our uh, council, Timaru, uh, Waimakariri and also Pongarei had a joint uh, action in the High Court and we had uh, sort of an update uh, the other day and we are expecting a judgment uh, early in the new year, and you know, some may say that's you know taking some time because it was around the mid-year. Uh, but we're looking for a judgment. You know, it could set some real precedents on and around property rights and accountability through local democracy. So, look, we're we're comfortable waiting, and also it times up because there's the conversations at the moment, and we get the second reading of the water services entity bill uh, on Thursday. Uh, but there's also another bill to come, and, and the next bill is the one that uh, is about transferring of uh, property from councils to uh, to the water entities. So uh, our uh, judgment that we're hoping to get is very much aligned with property rights. So we're um, yeah, hopeful we'll get something in the new year in that regard. But we were in uh, Wellington on Thursday for a rural and provincial meeting and, and some of the years and councillors, CEs associated with Communities for Local Democracy, which is afford an alternate water model, which is very similar to what we're seeing recently in the media from Wayne Brown and Full Major and Mia Dan again from Matariri. So um, uh, the C4LD mayors went to watch uh, from the gallery uh, Parliament reading, and it was, um, yeah, unfortunately, it was just a shame that, you know, 88,000 New Zealanders took the time to uh, submit to the bill, and many tens of thousands weren't heard, and uh, a lot of these submissions pretty much written off. And, you know, the majority of the submissions were against the uh, current. Uh, water services bill as it seems now and the government just made a few tweaks and, and nothing major uh, that would affect any real change so you know really disappointed and it's you know I don't like to um, you know point the finger but it really is arrogance when you've got uh, a majority government just not listening to the people around what is a better way to do this and we're not saying it doesn't need to be done we're just saying it's a better way so really frustrating uh, few days uh, but we'll keep, um, we'll keep fighting. 
Now, you and probably another council worked together, as I know the Tar or what South Taranaki one here does, with uh, Stratford, New Plymouth. What's wrong with cooperation like that? No, nothing. You hit the nail on the head. There's other options out there. And, you know, I think the key thing that the government's always said, well, hey, how do we fund this and want to separate the assets and, and borrow more money off our assets? But there's lots of ways to be able to um, to, to raise money, whether it's within that model, that sort of local, it could be a council-controlled organisation, you know, across a handful of councils. Uh, you know, you can change the uh, debt uh, lenders, you can move debt outside of councils. There's lots of ways to fund it, and we're not going to be funding it any cheaper than uh, councils can fund now anyway. So we do get very uh, sharp rates, and so... The debt and the ability to pay is not really the issue. And the other thing is from a little bit of direct government investment into certain uh, parts of the country that uh, maybe have, you know, high deprivation levels uh, or have a real need because they've got a lower rate payer base, you can do that. But it's not the $100 billion deficit we've, you know, been told that's sitting out there. It's, it's a lot less. So, um, you know, there's workable solutions that don't, don't you know, take property from communities uh, through uh, ownership through councils and, and, you know, rely back on that key accountability through, you know, local democracy. And that's what we've got to remember is that we do live in a democracy and it's set up that way. And, and it's uh, unfortunate that some people, you know, want to make changes without, you know, good consultation with the community. And I guess remember originally when it started, we were told that we could opt in or opt out. And, you know, it seems many years ago now, uh, but the integrity of the conversation just hasn't been there from this government. So, it's, yeah, it's a frustrating space to be in, but there again, as I said, we're, we're keen to keep the fight going and, and we'll take it into uh, next year and then, you know, it's going to be a, a central government election, um, you know, conversation, isn't it? Yes, and the concern that worries me more than anything, Nigel, as I've discussed with other mayors, is I see a lot of people in town and I sort of think, how much do you know about three waters to make a vote next year? <laughs> yeah, look, and, and you know, when we surveyed our own community, and um, you can look at it two ways. And I think in some places there, you know, people aren't informed, but there's a lot of people. And when we surveyed our community just, you know, very quickly about a year ago, yep. about ninety six percent were against. And you could say, hey, some of those uninformed voters, but you would be surprised when you talk to them. They really know the details of this, and they know the effects know that there's other options out there. So, you know, I, I, I give credit to, you know, our ratepayer base and the people out there because actually they are informed and, um, you know, they, they know that there's other models and there's better ways to do this. So, you know, uh, I think there's probably some populations and I think, you know, potentially in a, you know, central Wellington or a bigger city, uh, you know, the day-to-day... And that's, you know, caring of whether or not a council delivers your water or another entity, uh, you know, may not qu- quite be there. But certainly in rural and provincial New Zealand, where it really matters, and that connection to council is really key. And also water drives a lot of our, uh, you know, uh, it's an economic enabler. It drives a lot of our economies. It's um, so very, very important. And I think, you know, this is, really, again, really metrocentric reform and, you know, poor old rural and provincial New Zealand get cut again, which is a real shame. And I wonder whether they'll be listened to if they ever have a problem should this scheme go ahead. Wow. <laughs> it's a good question. I mean, there's, 
there's so much reform happening at the moment, isn't there? Across so many things, and it just feels like it hasn't. The end consequence hasn't been uh, thought through. You know, you can go anywhere at the moment and find some reform that you think in you know twenty or thirty years it's actually you know the the intent is okay, but you know the reality isn't where we're going to get to. Uh, you know, and we talked briefly uh, offline before around um, you know forestry and uh, yeah. you know this uh, you know beef and sheep and and and, and all that stuff. So yeah, so a concerning time, and we need to get these things right. And you know, don't like to be political, but we need on the big reform. We need bipartisan support. You know, these guys need to get together and find some common ground. And uh, otherwise, every three six years, you know, there's going to be change and uh, nothing ever happens. And it's always those key things that you know, like infrastructure pro- uh, pro- projects. You know, you know, nets. Uh, you know, likely invest more in roading. You know, or certainly we hope. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, you know, and then you know, they just got their own priorities. I mean, those key things around infrastructure. Come on, guys, we need to get that right for us because it affects communities. I know, and I just sort of thought, well, should we leave the uh, roads out of it? But you've mentioned it, Nigel, and I think we should finish <laughs> up with those roads. Is it a good idea to have the traffic go slower so they can avoid those potholes? <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. I and mean, Maybe if we invested more in road maintenance, and that was a frustration a couple of years ago. And, and look, they, it was interesting, we, at Royal Provincial, we heard from Chris Bishop, and, you know, uh, finally there's a party that will look to has an intergenerational lifespan it, you know, you put a good road down and invest properly, it can last 50 years and so uh, borrow and you know, really invest into our infrastructure across the country. I'm, I'm excited by that that point that he made at rural and provincial. So, you know, um, and let's hope the uh, other parties look at those uh, as well. And I remember talking to uh, Kieran McNulty, the uh, Labour um, uh, Minister for Nigel, you're a mayor of a city that has a port. What is wrong with beefing up our coastal transport? There's no roads to upkeep, there's no speed limit, yet it's apparently pretty dismal. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, I think there's some changes uh, in the wind and you know, the current government invested some more money. The problem that you've got is that it comes out of the same fund. So, you know, uh-huh. putting, at the moment it's taking money from, uh, you know, roading and putting to coastal shipping. Uh, I, I think there needs to be a look at, that, you know, how we fund roads and, and, and that needs to happen. I think everyone is aware of that. But coastal shipping for us, uh, 92% of all freight goes in off uh, to our port off trucks and we do about 80,000 odd containers a year. And uh, coastal shipping is imperative. If you talk about and you want to be, you know, true to decarbonisation and some of those conversations, that's the way to go. And uh, you're certainly really important for our economy here. So the rail network, uh, you know, you'll make some small gains, but you're never going to make those large gains. So, you know, coastal shipping for us is really important. And there has been an increase in services, which is, is really positive for us. Well, thank you, Mayor Nigel Byrne, for unravelling the intrigue of Three Waters. Go well, my friend, and a Merry Christmas to you and your family. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, and stay safe. Thank you very much. 
Barbara Kuriger to tell us about the New Zealand Rural Women's Awards and she tells us about a couple making cosmetic products from hemp to two women away down Jackson Bay who have set up a restaurant called The Craypot. So get pen and paper ready to write down some handy details that will come your way. Let's go to Wellington and learn what Barbara Kuriger can tell us about the week. Good morning, Barbara. Consultancy services and actually deals with 
um, you know, works with young shearers and people in the shearing industry and just making sure that uh, all their needs are taken care of, their wellness is taken care of, that they're part of the community. And so it was a real celebration and just um, good to get um, a room full of successful women together. It just seems to be getting bigger and bigger and better uh, all the time. And I remember a few years ago when Claire Bradley was the overall winner and uh, they do seaweed, seaweed products for farm fertilisers and things. She's gone from success to success to success. Um, and it's just great to see how some of these businesses, uh, not only just for the awards, but actually keep going over a period of time. So it was a really, really good night. Um, and it's great to have, as I say, events back in the same room again. So, so it's been excellent and quite a few events coming into um, Parliament recently. But the one we had last night... Uh, within the public trust building down in Wellington and they've just done it all up and it's beautiful and it's the second time it's on Lampton Key and it's the second time I've been in there uh, a couple of weeks because they launched a product I think I talked about it before FLOC flock and it's wall panelling and they've got it up in this building and I'm always so proud to walk into a building that's got wall panelling on the walls and um, it was just a fantastic place to have an event for rural women so it was great. So onwards and upwards, um, got a few things happening. Uh, the weekend, uh, 150 years of the Jersey Club uh, in and around uh, Te Alamushi. So we've got a, a wonderful lunch for that. And I've got a 50th uh, celebration for a fire brigade uh, man uh, in Te Alamushi. I'm always amazed at people that do 50 years in the fire service and the fire brigade stage. Uh, not only do yeah, uh, well, it used to be fires, now it's accidents and a whole range of things, but not only do they do what they have to do in terms of being called out to emergencies, but you go along and you find these people have attended 95% of their brigade's practices and over a period of time, you know, it's some commitment, not just for the fire people, but also for their families. So, um, yeah, some good stuff happening, and I'm even going to visit the men's shed to uh, see what they're up to. They do some great things, and I've got a great uh, rocking horse for my granddaughter one year uh, that have been made by the men at the men's shed. So, um, what's happening, Neville? Well, thank you for that, Barbara. That was very interesting hearing what rural women are doing in the community. Philip Duncan has some handy hints for the folk who go fishing, particularly on the west coast of New Zealand, as we are subject to such violent weather that comes from that direction. And I'm not kidding about that one. A lot of people have been accidentally tipped out of boats and washed off rocks. Well, let's go to Auckland and catch up with Philip Dunk from weatherwatch.co.nz. Good morning, Philip. Good morning, Neville. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. The weather down here is... Taranaki gold, uh, sun's shining at times and then it's raining. We're certainly in that springtime of year still. You know, we had um, we, we actually had a quite a nice settled period of weather over the last few weeks and now we're sort of back into a bit more of an unsettled pattern. And after the big low pressure zone we've had over the last week, which has brought those uh, warm, more humid sort of days and those uh, random isolated downpours and thunderstorms, that is moving away. And now that we go to air, um, we're seeing the westerlies return. So windy westerlies back in the forecast for a number of areas, and that means the west, sorry, the western side of the country has a much higher chance of cloud and rain and showers, and the eastern side has a higher chance of being warmer 
and drier and sunnier, which may be good news for some people because I can tell you that uh, we've had a lot of complaints from those along the eastern side of the country, how sick, of, sick and tired they are of having the uh, cloudy, cooler easterlies and northeasterlies that have been blowing and dominating for a long time. So uh, a bit of a return to normal, I think, really, for this time of the year. That's what we're seeing right now as we go to air. So what's this uh, bode well for farming? Uh, what about the other types of uh, farming that well, rely on weather? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I always say that variety is a good thing for farmers, for the most part. I mean, there's sometimes a time when you don't want that. You want it to be consistently dry or consistently wet for a, for a week or two. Um, but I think, generally speaking, to have variety where one week it's wet and the next week it's dry and one week has northerlies and the next week has westerlies, uh, and that's what we're seeing at the moment, I think that's pretty good for, the, for most farmers and growers out there because you end up with uh, you know, the right kind of weather to get the garden and, and lawns and, and pasture and animals growing, you know. We, we all like variety. We all like it to be, you know, a, a little bit of rain in there and then a, a long, dry, sunny spell or whatever you need. So at the moment, we're getting a good mixture of weather. Um, we're not totally La Nina every day. We had La Nina-type weather over the last week. Now we're back to normal. We're back to what we would normally be seeing in November at the moment. And so that, that bodes well. And I'll tell you another thing. Having the westerly winds return, it, it gives the East Coast a break. It gives the East Coast more sun, more warmth, and dry weather. Um, and so, yeah, variety is a good thing. And that's certainly what we're seeing at the moment. So I think right now most most farmers are telling me they're, they're pretty happy with conditions, and that's that's including some of the ones that have been hit by some recent, um, you know, wind and rain, which have been around uh, the country, especially in the North Island. The North Island has had no shortage of downpours lately, so I think uh, a typical kind of La Nina spring has been around, that's for sure. Philip, you mentioned about the conditions for farming, how it's good on one side of the island and not so good on the other side, yet farming is looking at uh, Hiwaka Ekanoa, Gas emissions, I call them a tax, but it revolves around animal condition. What's your thoughts on that, Philip, and the weather? Well, a um, couple of things. First of all, I, I think when it comes to um, gases and greenhouse gases, we should be looking at um, man-made problems first before animals. I just, I think, you know, when you look at the world with these factories and all sorts of pollution and cars and planes and everything, um, to be focused on what animals are doing seems kind of crazy uh, because the planet's covered in animals. Um, anyway, that aside, um, if, if we are going to be looking at this sort of thing, then yes, obviously part of the discussion is uh, the state of those animals. And when you have a drought, as we sometimes do get, um, and we've seen this actually over this year even, some parts of the country that weren't getting rainfall. Um, lambs, uh, in particular, I was hearing, were a bit smaller in some areas. Yeah. I think it was the eastern, might have been the eastern North Island. I was hearing that report. Um, and and may have, this may have just been from one farm, so don't don't totally uh, take it out of context. But but basically saying yes, because there had been a lack of grass growth, lambs were smaller, um, and so that that had a flow on effect in, in a number of ways. Not only just um, like the, the value that the farmer was actually being able to sell them for and, and make money from, but also who wanted to buy them and when. And so there's all sorts of things that happen um, with the, with our weather. I think to me, you know, I don't want to sound uh, I don't want to sound like I'm anti the government, but I I do feel 
it's a bit frustrating sometimes that these are sort of micro focused on some of these things like winter grazing is another one. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't know how much that, that the government's helping in these areas or whether it just sounds like it's the right thing to do. Uh, you know, you, um, human beings like to do things that feel good, even if it doesn't do anything. And so, um, so I always think there's a good debate to have around this. I always, I'm a big fan of having discussion and debate, which is not something I have found in my dealings with the government over the 10 years. They don't like debate. They like to dictate and, and give their uh, opinion, and that's about it. So, I um, yeah, that's, that's my comment on it. I'm quite controversial sometimes because I have had such a rough time dealing with the government around open data to help farmers, and they, they're just not interested in having any kind of open discussion about it at all. Government knows best, and, and I'm a silly taxpayer even suggesting something could be done differently. Philip, just to finish with, we uh, predominantly face the western uh, winds in New Zealand. What warnings, consequences have you got for boaties? Because there's been a number of accidents lately and it's time those people looked at the weather, looked at the tide and everything that goes with taking a boat out. Do you know what I, it's, yeah, good, great question. Um, when I look at marine weather, when someone says to me, what's the weather like out in the, you know, wherever they're going on a boat, the first thing I do is I look at the swell maps that we've got on our website from Predict Wind. And the reason I do that is because if the, if the waves are basically over a, a metre and a half, I tell people you shouldn't go out um, because you can have two, three metre swells sometimes in between those kind of waves. Um and it, it, the weather sort of is almost um, irrelevant. It's, it's more to do with what the sea is doing. Now, this time of the year, westerly winds dominate, especially in the South Island. And so that brushes places like Taranaki and even as far north as Auckland. Those swells stretch all the way up there. So you can, they can really accumulate and build up at this time of the year while the weather on land may be quite lovely. And I always say this in New Zealand, a lot of our deaths and drownings in the sea occur when there's a storm that's offshore and our weather here on land is absolutely beautiful. And so it's just that reminder that there's a, there's a, I think sometimes a disconnect in our brain between how our marine conditions are created and how our local weather is created. So local weather, you look up at the sky and, it, and it, you know, it's relevant. But when you go to the beach, the conditions that are creating those beach conditions could be occurring you know, several hundred kilometres away, the whole length of the North Island or South Island away from you. And so that's why you've got to look at the big picture. You've got to understand what's coming in, whether it's getting worse or better, because you can sometimes have a day where the winds are easing, the weather is improving, but the marine conditions are actually going to be going downhill for another 24 hours. So, so anyone that's going fishing or going out on a boat, to me the, the advice is always look at those swell maps first and then look at your weather forecast and, and put the two together. Well, thank you, Philip Duncan, and I look forward to your company next week. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Tune in again next week when we'll ride the boundaries again and learn what's happening in wonderful New Zealand. Thanks to Evie and Anne for putting today's show together, and we'll catch up next week. Kaikiti anō. This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air.
To find more local content, go to www.accessradiotaranaki.com.